This is Wrestling with your host, Isaac Scanlon. What's up, everyone? This is your host, Isaac Scanlon, reminding you once again to follow me on social media. Check out the links below to see my Facebook page, or if you're really cool, my Gitter account. At any rate, joining me for this episode of Wrestling is Jesse Morris. This is a somber episode as Jesse has a sad but also triumphant story. Here, Jesse described his upbringing in a cult, including the abuse he endured from fellow church members, but also how God delivered him from the cult and Jesse's road to recovery. Along the way, we wrestle with Jesus's teachings that you must be perfect and how to help someone ensnared in a cult, among other things. Also, be sure to check out the resources provided in the description, as they will be very helpful to you. Hi, Jesse. Welcome to Wrestling. Hi, thank you for having me. Yeah, thanks for coming on. I'm I'm sure this will be a great episode. I'm looking forward to our conversation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So am I. So you are joining us from Oregon. You grew up in the town of Oregon, Illinois, I understand, and now you live in the state of Oregon? Yes, that is correct. I knew I'd always end up in Oregon. <laughs> yeah, funny how that works sometimes. So uh, I want to give a shout out to Pastor Mark Swarbrick. He was on my previous episodes, episodes 10 and 11. He connected us. So Jesse, um, if you wouldn't mind just sharing, what is it that, that brings you here today? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I have a I have a pretty weird background. Um, I grew up in a very uh, small Christian non-denominational church. Um, Very Pentecostal, but not necessarily affiliated with the Pentecostals. And um, yeah, there has been a lot of uh, controversy with the church um, Mm -hmm. since its foundation. And I was the subject of uh, quite a bit of abuse, uh, both physical mm-hmm. and uh, psychological while I was mm-hmm. in this uh, in this church. Man, that's that's tough. I'm really sorry to hear that. Thank you. Yeah. So I was doing some research on this church you described, and the first red flag I found is that they call themselves the perfect church. So <laughs> yeah, that's that's red flag number one right there. Absolutely. They, uh, their clutch verse, the, the verse that they will always fall back on is Matthew 5, 48, be therefore perfect, uh, even as your father in, you know, in heaven is perfect. Um, mm-hmm. They will swear by it. They, uh, that is the, the most important verse to them in the Bible. And they, I, I mean, I'll give it to them. They try to live it. Well, sounds like they don't do great living by it, but... They do not. (laughs) Yeah. But, I mean, it's the Word of God. It's right there. So, what what do we do with this verse? Yeah, so I... um, I don't don't have a good answer, and I don't know that there is a good answer. I... um, 
I think that the Bible is open to interpretation and oftentimes it is misinterpreted and uh, certain verses are taken out of context and abused. And um, that was the, uh, the 22 years of my life that I spent in this, in this church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I see. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. Nope, that's it. Go ahead. All right. <clears throat> yeah, I've been thinking about that verse, and it can seem pretty intimidating since I know I'm not perfect. But, but I think one thing that, that I get from this is that a point of this is that, is that nobody is perfect. So that verse definitely highlights the need for God's grace. Jesus goes on in the Sermon on the Mount to describe, I mean, if you even look at a woman with lust, you've committed adultery in your own heart. And he's just, you know, he's just very much, God is holy and he is righteous. And the truth is we can't measure up to to his standards. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So yeah, the I, only way, I completely agree with you. Oh, absolutely. Go ahead. Yeah, I was going to say the only way that we can be made perfect is that God made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of Christ. So the way that we're made perfect is by being united with Christ that his identity becomes our identity. So in the eyes of God, we are perfect. I, I agree with you, and I, I hear everything you're saying, but if you were to say that same thing to members of the church and uh, the leadership specifically, um, you know, they would just drop verse after verse um, on you and, and state that they, are, that they are perfect. And when you have the leader of, the, of this church, um, continually prophesying, if you will, as you know, those were words that have been used or are words that have been used. When you have this leader of this, of this church who is states over and over that he is perfect and that he as the manifested son of God, you know, he's a manifested mm. son of God, or he has, he has reached or attained sinlessness. Mm. Um, you know, all the followers are taught to, to never question. And so when they don't question, they begin to believe right. this theology and um, you know, it's very, it's very hard to to be able to use scripture to to back up your arguments when they mm. will in turn use the exact same scriptures out of context. It's just a it's it's talking to a wall. You just go in circles. Yeah, I can imagine. And that's really sad just seeing the hardness of some people's hearts. Even Satan used scripture when he was tempting Jesus in the wilderness. So just because somebody claims to know the word of God, you, you really, you got to check them out for yourself. But, but of course, if you grew up in a system where, where you've been taught that, that you have this infallible prophet. You can't what, question what, that. Yeah, that's, that's how you hold on to a congregation. You just, you strike fear in them and then. And then, of course, who would dare to speak out? The scary part is that there have been, 
past um, religious organizations. Let's call them cults because that's what they were. There were past mm-hmm. cults who um, claimed to be um, people from the Bible. You know, they had claimed mm-hmm. to be the uh, the reincarnated Son of God, or you know, they had mm-hmm. claimed to be the physical um, physical being of God, you know, on Earth. And and the problem is that they were very radical, and um, in the end, those cults. Um, they cease to exist, you know, whether by violent means or by legal means. And this specific church that I grew up in claims that they, the, the, the current leader claims that he is the, uh, one of the two witnesses spoken about in Revelations. Mm-hmm. And his, uh, his wife, who is deceased, um, he claims that she is the other witness and that she will resurrect. And he's been claiming that she will uh, re- resurrect since you know, since she passed away in 1992, I believe. Mm-hmm. So it becomes a little bit scary when, when you can look at the similarities between violent religious organizations who claim to be, you know, very divine people from the Bible. Mm-hmm. And then you compare this, this specific church as well. Mm-hmm. Right. Because, if the son of God comes to you and prophesying over you, you're, you're stuck with whatever he says. Man, yeah. There was that's... no uh, room for doubt at all. When I was growing mm-hmm. up, there's no questioning. I personally, you know, the first time I, I came against the pastor um, was when I was 18 and, and I told him he was wrong. And I, you know, I swear to you, like I thought that I was going to die in that moment. I thought that God was going to strike me dead when I told this man that he was, that he was wrong. I, I was in such a state of fear in that moment. That's so awful. So how did you get to this place of doubt? How did you come to see the truth? I was, when I was 13, I, um, I was abused by the, by members of the church, the, the pastor had given permission to um, to these church members to make Jesse change. That was essentially what he said. Mm-hmm. Do whatever you need to do. You have my, the pastor's, you know, my permission to uh, to do whatever you need to do. And so I was, um, so I was abused quite a bit. And, and I don't say that word lightly. I feel like some people claim abuse and it's not necessarily abuse. Um, I was forced to, to sleep um, in my uh, in my underwear on a cement floor in winter as a punishment. Mm. I didn't have a blanket or pillow, um, and you know each night I would I would uh, I'd curl up and I'd I'd hug myself for for warmth. Oh man! And I would and I would stay that way through the night. Mm. And after a couple of months of being in this in this house with these uh, church members, and I was finally able to go home, I swore to myself that doesn't matter if I continue to believe what this church believes, I would never allow somebody to put me in that position again of complete vulnerability. They can do whatever they want with me. I was too scared to go to the police. I didn't know that I could. And so as the years, and that was when I was 13. And as the years passed, I was dealt more abuse and it wasn't quite to that extreme. Um, There was definitely physical abuse. There was a lot of um, psychological and religious abuse and when I was 18, I, I was dealt a bit more abuse from the, uh, from the church and it was very extreme. 
and I finally, um, I had big, I had begun to doubt a little bit, you know, and every time I was abused, I, I swore to myself, like, you know, this is God's will. This is, this is what God wants mm. me. This is the, the trial by fire, if you will, that I need mm. to go through to, to perfect myself. This is what we believe as a church, but I slowly started to, uh, to doubt. And I was very scared when I started doubting. Um, oh. You know, I had been taught to not doubt. I couldn't question. There was no, there's no going to the past. There's no going to my parents or any other leaders in the in the church, and saying, you know, I don't believe this. This doesn't make sense. Um, I would have been accused of uh, having a devil, you know, inside of me, or you know, being tempted in some way, and you know, mm-hmm. I'd, I'd I'd be dealt more abuse. So I finally just allowed the um, the the doubt that I had, the questioning to supersede the beliefs that I had. And I realized that there's no way that these people can claim to be perfect and to be, to claim to be the, um, you know, the manifested sons of God. These are the people that, um, that everyone else in the world needs to, to come through to get to heaven. These are their claims. Um, mm-hmm. There's no way they can do all this and claim all this and abuse me at the same time. It doesn't make sense. It's not biblical. And and I just stopped believing it. Mm. Still believed in God. I still believed in uh, in the Bible, but I stopped believing in the people who claim to be uh, divine. Well, that's, that's so awesome to hear about how you still believe in God. And praise God for that, that you still maintained your faith because I can imagine that, you know, it can be easy to, to associate all the abuse you suffered to God and to think that he was the malevolent one. But it's just so great to hear of his grace, how he preserved you through this. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, when I did leave this specific church, it took me, you know, it took me a few years to start going to church again. Yeah. I would go to church, you know, uh, with, with family members who are no longer part of, of this specific church of this cult. I would go to you know other churches and I'd sit there for a few minutes and I would I would just be so bothered by it. It was just too much for me to to sit there. Um right. and I'd walk out and it you know it took about five or six years before I started uh going back to church on a regular basis and and practicing my faith. Mm. Well, it's so awesome that you did. Praise God. It's great to hear that you're in the family and that and that you're believing. Yeah, mm. absolutely. Um I always like to say that. Um, there are two reasons that people will leave this specific cult. One is they stop believing in the people um, who, you know, claim to be sinless and and their guardians and divine and you know everything. Um, and then the other reason is people just stop believing in God. They start asking them questions like, why would God allow, you know, two million babies to die on Earth? You know, or you know, why is there a pandemic? I don't know. Why are people dying? You know, and, and my reason was always, I, I believe in God. Um, I believe in his miracles and his, and his word. And I just, I cannot believe in this cult anymore. I cannot believe in these, uh, in the things that these people are telling me. Hmm. Yeah, well, what a great story. Just that. Hmm. But it was also a journey too. I, I appreciate that aspect of it because it's not like 
you know, you come to Christ and suddenly everything is better and everything is a pile of roses. I mean, you, it sounds like you actually were being tested by fire this time. And it took a while to, to really rebuild your faith. But, but you know, God is patient and, and he was working over time. So I think that can really be an encouragement to those out there who are going through trials or who are suffering a major spiritual crisis that it might take a while, but God is patient and, and we have a great high priest who's not unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. You know, he understands us and, and that's so awesome. You know, I have been through uh, uh, quite a bit and um, I've been through some very uh, terrible things in my life. But I feel like the one thing that, you know, always kept me going was, was that in itself is to keep going, to never give up. There's got to be something better. I would always tell myself there's, there's got to be something better than this. Um, you know, I know I'm living in a, in a, in an environment where this cult states that this is the better, like this is the life that you want to live, but you know, there wasn't. And, and it took me leaving this cult and, um, and, and I and I traveled the world. You know, I, I had a chance to to head overseas for the first time in, in 2012 and I did a bunch of mission work and and I continued that for two or three more years, you know, and 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 I met very amazing people. Hmm. And it and it took all that to get me to realize the the beauty of life and um and the power of God and and how he can affect every single person's life. Um, whether you're living in a third world country, an underdeveloped country, you know, in, in squalor. Or whether you're living in, you know, the United States in in a in a nice small town, I it just helped me to realize how great God is. Indeed. Well, I was I had another question to ask you or a comment to make. I'm trying to remember what it was. So, um, I heard on Pastor Mark's website he writes about about some legal trouble you've been you've been facing from this group is is that something you'd be comfortable sharing yeah so when i first left the church um when i when i speak when i say the church i specifically mean the church that i grew up in so i'm not talking about church in general so when i first left the church i spoke with a few other uh um, close friends of mine who had also been uh raised in the church and and had left we all decided that we kind of just want to put the things that happened uh, behind us. We want to move on with our lives, we, lives, excuse me. We want to prove that we can be successful, that we don't, we don't need to rely on, uh, on the church to, um, for our happiness. Um, and that is the greatest um, revenge, I guess, if you will. I, and maybe that's not the right word, but the greatest revenge is, is surviving is being successful is, is, is being happy um, outside of this, outside of this church. And so we all decide to kind of just like drop it. And then, you know, over the past few months, um, there were a couple of ex members who began to bring up some of the abuse that happened in the church. And I was a bit hesitant to, um, to join in. I can imagine. Cause it was, yeah, it was, it was on a platform that where there tends to be a lot of gossip. And so, so I was, 
you know, I was questioning how impactful my own uh, testimony or my own story can be on this platform. And, um, and then the church, you know, they commented on this individual's uh, post and started uh, and stated that, you know, that the person was lying. Well, I, I know the person and I know that um, I know the things that they said were true. And I happen to have been um, the person in this, in this church who was treated the worst. And I don't say that, I don't say that lightly. I don't exaggerate. If we had, you know, all the ex members here, you'd ask them who had it worse. They'd, they'd tell you, Jesse, maybe I can blame that on my stubbornness. I don't know. Um, but I decided to, to jump in feet first. And I, I was afraid of the retribution of using my own name because I have very close friends who, um, who, um, whose relationships with their parents would be jeopardized. Um, if, if I were to use my own name, you know, the, the church knows that we're all friends. And if I put my own name in there, then their names are going to be put in. So I use a pseudonym mm-hmm. and I, and I, I created the post and I said, Hey, you know, this individual who spoke up about abuse is not lying. And in fact, I am willing to, um, to be vulnerable and, and give a few details myself. And it went, it just went from there like wildfire, you know, everyone joined in. We had a lot of other ex members who, who came forward and stated, um, and, and, and gave details about the abuse that they had endured. And then we decided that we are going to pursue legal action. This might be the only platform that we have to, to state our abuse, to, to tell the world that this is a cult. These are the things that they're doing in your town. And it's been happening for 40 years. Mm. And so we stated what we stated on, on this platform. And then we went to the police and we, um, we filed charges with the police. We, um, because some of the abuse happened in multiple state, states, we contacted the FBI and we have been approached by uh, multiple um, news stations to, to kind of share our story. Um, so I don't, I don't know offhand how many people filed police charges, but the police investigated it. And unfortunately, because the abuse happened so long ago, there is a statute of limitations Mm. and uh, the abuse exceeded that. So they were not able to, to, uh, to pursue anything, unfortunately. And I was in, um, I was in contact with the detective in charge of the investigation and he stated that they believe us. The timelines all match up. The abuse matches up with multiple people. We're all saying the same thing, but I can't do anything. There's, you know, there's not much you can do when it was, for me, it was about 15 or 16 years ago that the abuse ended. And um, there wasn't much that they could do. So I believe that they have concluded the investigation with the statement that there was no abuse that happened within the statute of limitations, but they were going to forward all that information onto the FBI. So at the moment, we're kind of in limbo. We're just waiting to see if the FBI is going to take this seriously and what they're going to do with it. Hmm. Man, what was that like going back and and having to face a lot of and really 
having to stare what you went through in the face again. I imagine um, that wasn't easy. Yeah. You know, it's really difficult. I, I don't want it to dictate who I am, but I spent 22 years in there and those were all my formative years. And so there's a, there's a large part of me that, that is, is where my actions, my, my beliefs, the way I think is dictated by the things that happened to me. And so it's very mm -hmm. painful. Um, I've been in, I've, I've been able to see a professional counselor um, for the past six years now, I believe, and has been really healing. It's been very, very therapeutic. Um, there's still a long way to go. Um, I continue the last, uh, what, two weeks ago, two weeks ago, I, I uh, had three nightmares of the church. That stuff doesn't go away. It might pause for a little while, but every so often I have a nightmare where I'm in the church again and I'm being abused by one of the members. Um, and so a couple of weeks ago, I had my, my last dream um, and I just wake up terrified. Um, mm. Those are things I just need to work through. And it's, it's, gonna, it's just going to take time. Of course. Yeah, it's that tension. It's like on the one hand, you've moved on, but, but on the other, it can just randomly haunt you. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, it doesn't. I mean, you know, all my family members who are out of the, everyone knows what happened to me. Um, my wife has been very supportive um, and, uh, and very encouraging. And so she obviously is aware and, and in some of the conversations uh, online with current members of the church, they've, uh, they've stated that, you know, my wife would be so shocked to know, you know, like everything that happened. And it's ironic because my relationship with my wife is, is great. And my wife knows everything about what happened in the church. Um, but the other thing on that note is that the church continues to, to justify the abuse. They've never come out specifically and stated this specific thing didn't happen. They just use blanket statements hmm. um, stating that, you know, that we're all liars. Um, I suppose that a guilty party would do that. Um, and they've, they've just failed to address anything specifically. I've offered, uh, to take polygraph tests. I've offered to take multiple polygraph tests in a row. If, you know, I've, I've heard that polygraph tests can be beaten. Well, you know, if you take 10, it's going to give you an average. And, uh, and I've, and I've offered to pay for polygraph tests for the leadership of the, of the cult as well. And they've refused. So. Mm -hmm. I suppose that should kind of give you an idea of, of who these guys are. Yeah. I do want to say that, you know, I know my story is bad. I know that I went through so much, but I met people around the world that deal with this kind of abuse on a daily basis. They're, I mean, they're, you know, it, it's happening today. Children, adults, they're continuing to be abused, whether that is religiously or physically, psychologically. So there's always someone with a, with a worse story. And I suppose I can use my story to, to bring encouragement and hope to other people, but, but also to acknowledge that there are people that have it much worse than I do. And, and I've, been, I've been pretty blessed to, to be where I am today and, and not be a, a train wreck, I guess.
Hmm. Yeah, I can definitely see God's work in your life that, that he's made you who you are. So if you don't mind me asking, are, are your parents still part of this cult? Um, my mom is still uh, part of the cult. She was actually one of the first members back in the late 70s, um, back when it was just a Bible study. My dad was, my dad passed away in 2008, but he was a, uh, he was still a member of, of the cult as well. Hmm. I, uh, I also have one younger brother and one older sister that is, uh, they're still part of the cult as well. Yeah, I imagine that whenever holidays roll around, I, I imagine you probably don't see them much anymore. I haven't seen my mom uh, since my wedding five years ago. Um, haven't seen my younger brother since 2005, um, back when he was 13. So for one hour in 2013, and uh, and that was monitored. I mean, you know, we went to a restaurant, but my uh, my mom wouldn't leave his side at that point. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't let me alone with him. I I think they're convinced that I will try to get him to leave the church, which is and that. That's another sign of a cult. They don't want you to talk to ex-members. But it's so ironic that they stand so firm in their faith, and yet they're terribly afraid that one hour with me is going to completely throw them off. Mm. Oh, yeah. That's a sure sign that you're not truly confident in what you believe in or that or that you know that, that you've built a house of cards and – and all it takes is just pulling out one card and the whole thing will collapse. Yep, I agree. Um, the other thing is that, you know, a lot of us who have left have been excommunicated. Um, we don't have relationships with our family members. I, I mean, I've stated, you know, who I have still in the church, but I mean, you know, I have friends who have their whole families. They might have been the only person that left the cult and they have no relationship. They have attempted to have a relationship and it has been rejected. Um, it took, I mean, it took an arm and a leg to get my mom to, uh, to come to my wedding. My younger brother refused. I mean, I'm, I, you know, I'm happy that my mom was able to, to come to the wedding, but the sad thing is that she had asked permission from the pastor first. Hmm. So we, none of us who have left have any semblance of a relationship and it is highly discouraged by the pastor um, to have a relationship with any, you know, any, any member who is not, um, or any person, excuse me, who is no longer a member of the church. Sad stuff. Um, yeah, yeah, it is. It's really tough. Mm -hmm. All right. Unless you have any other comments you'd like to make about this group, I, I'd kind of like to hear about your life since then and just, and how you've recovered and, and how God has shown grace. I know we've touched on it, but what are you up to now? What what kind of a church do you attend now? And yeah, what are you up to? Um, yeah, so I currently go to a church in uh, here in Oregon. It's called Imago Dei. Um, it's got a great pastor. It's it's great, great teaching. I love it. My, uh, my wife and I both go. Um, we've been going there for about four or five years. Um, I am actually seeking my bachelor's degree. I'm, I'll be the first person in my family to get a degree. Um, so I'm really excited about that. 
and what? Uh, it'll be international studies. So to do some level of uh, social work, um, whether that is overseas, we've you know we've we've both my wife and I both traveled quite a bit. Um, so we could see ourselves settling overseas. And so to do some level of social work overseas would be fantastic. I do joke about if I have another family member who starts to go to college, I'm just going to discourage them just so I can be the first person to graduate. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that's not very nice of me, but well, it is amusing. That would be, that would be really impressive if they could, if they could graduate before you do, Absolutely. considering that you've already started. Yes. So they probably um, wouldn't need a ton of discouragement, I imagine. That's, that is true. Um, I'm also in the stages of, uh, of writing a book. Um, this will be a memoir of my experiences in the, in the cult and my life afterwards and mm-hmm. um, the growth that I've seen happen in my life and, and um, how happy I am. You know, I haven't mm-hmm. allowed the experiences in the, in the cult to fully dictate my life. I've, uh, I've been married for five years to a beautiful woman. Um, we've been able to travel quite a bit. I'm got a great job. I'm, uh, I'm seeking my, you know, I'm in the, I'm getting my bachelor's degree and I'm, and I'm really happy. You know, I have really great supportive friends around me. That's awesome, brother. I'm very encouraged by that. And I'd love to read your, I'd love to read your book when it comes out. Thank you. Yeah, I will be next year, probably. <laughs> okay, fair enough. You know, I've talked a little bit on the show, but I've on and off been writ- writing a fiction story of my own. What's it called and what's it about? So it is called the, it's a series. It's called The Adventures of Jack Stallion. It, it actually is about this just brilliant detective amateur sleuth like a Sherlock Holmes just super smart and really invested in his work and his story is actually kind of similar to yours he gets tangled up in this really questionable ministry as a teenager and his story really begins when when his estranged brother approaches him and he says Hey, I found this video online that that you know your pastor, this cult leader, might have committed a murder. And when my protagonist hears this, at first he's afraid, since you know he doesn't he doesn't want to question the man of God. He doesn't want to question God himself. But on the other hand, he's just been given such an instinct to investigate things. Like, he just gets so wrapped up in what he does. This is just his passion. So he's like, okay, I I have to do this. And then over time, he comes to the discovery. The story hasn't been complete yet, but things start to turn around when the pastor refuses to give a DNA sample. And that's when he realizes, okay, maybe he's hiding something. And I haven't finalized the ending yet, but but it ends when it looks for a moment like the pastor is guilty of this murder. And the ending is a bit more nuanced. It turns out he's not guilty of the murder, but 
what my character discovers is that, you know, this group is, I need to get out of here. And I've been brainwashed and I need to move on with my life. And at the end of the story, it actually ends with, with my character actually physically wrestling with this pastor and, and dislocating his hip similar to Jacob when he was wrestling with the angel. Mm -hmm. But I based, I based it on that story when he just hung on and he said, I won't let go. I won't let go until you give me the information that I want. And that was his big moment of triumph. That sounds really, really interesting. I would love to read it when it comes out. Yeah. Well, I'm going to be honest. I'm not sure if it's ever going to come out. Well, if then, then I enjoyed hearing about it. All right. Yeah. I mean, I can, I can send you a few notes, but, but yeah, that just reminded me of that discovery of truth. It can be, it can be quite the process. Yeah. Yeah, it can. Yeah. I mean, if you do want to know a little bit more about the church that I grew up in, um, they do have a website. It is perfectchurch.com. So that should explain a little bit. Um, since all of the uh, since the debacle on the the social media platform, they have uh, they've removed a lot of their content um, that might be a little bit more scandalous or you know out there. Mm -hmm. It's still pretty. It's still a pretty weird website, but you are more than welcome to get on there, check it out, and uh, make your own conclusions. Yes, don't just take our word for it. Absolutely. Yes, you got to decide for yourself what you believe and not just let me tell you about it. So you'll see. But yeah, it's really sad to think that, you know, you can just present all of this evidence that this church is unbiblical, not only the abuse you suffered, but but also just just how acrid and heretical their theology is, but, but it seems like no matter what, when, when your heart has been hardened, when you've been blinded by the Prince of darkness, if you don't have eyes to see and ears to hear, you know, you won't see the truth. Yeah. Um, and you know, you can't convince any member that the mm -hmm. pastor is wrong. I mean, if you look at, any type of uh, any type of process of like you know deprogramming anyone who might have been in a cult. I mean, you know the the worst thing to do is just you mean getting getting kidnapped. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I know there's, um, there's that one guy who would go around and kidnap people who used to be in cults. It was geez. a thing in the seventies. It was right after. It was right when it was this big thing with the hippie movement and Jonestown. Yep. But yes, we're, we're not advocating kidnapping here. Not at all. Do not advocate that, but that is slightly amusing. Um, <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, they are, they just swear up and down that, that the pastor is correct, that he is biblical. And, you know, I've actually had conversations with him and I've stated, or I've, you know, I've, I've provided four or five examples of, of prophecies 
that he uh, that he made, I guess you know, or he had, um, and he was unable to uh, to show me the truth in them. You know, I, I've stated like, hey, you know, you said this was going to happen, or mm-hmm. you said this was going to happen. It's never come true, you know. But you, I think to call yourself a prophet, you have to have something that's come true. But nothing has come true. <laughs> right. Give me, give me one thing that's come true and there's nothing. That seems like a reasonable bare minimum. Just one. But he was unable to. So, but regardless of that fact, there's a, um, there's just a lot of denial on the church's part, on the members of the church. Mm-hmm. Excuse me. Yeah, on the church's part. Um, you know, they refuse to acknowledge that the lack of uh, prophetical truth. Mm-hmm. So, which is, which is scary. You know, they're very, very brainwashed, especially the ones who have been in there since the seventies, like my mom. Oh yeah. It's hard to admit you're wrong. That's for sure. The other thing is that, you know, if you spent so long in this organization, it's all, you know, my mom was in her twenties when she joined and you know, you've spent the last 50 years believing in something that might not necessarily be true. These are your only friends to admit that there is some level of untruth in in your belief system has just got to be so hard. I mean, your life has just been a lie. Everything you've believed is a lie. And that is just just an immense waste of time, 50 years of believing something that is not true. Mm. Yeah. You know, uh, the pastor, John Piper, gives an example in his book, Don't Waste Your Life, about this old man who was in a town with a church. And, you know, he was very hard hearted, very much. I'm never going to believe this. And the people in this church were just praying for him for decades. And when he was in his late 70s, one day, God just works miraculously and saves him. But but he's at this church and he's just weeping and he's crying out, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And I mean, praise God that he was saved. Praise God that he was born again. But, yeah. but man... At the same time, it's just so lamentable, all of those wasted years. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that's scary that that could have happened to me. It's mm. scary that I could still be in this cult believing in a lie. And I, you know, my, my life would be a waste. And, you know, I've been able to, I've been able to learn um, so much being outside of the cult. And meet so many amazing people. I think that's the thing that stands out to me the most from being outside of the cult is that there are very, very amazing people in the world. And I was always taught that everyone outside of this specific cult is the church world. They're all sinners. There's no, there's no one that's good. But mm. tell you what, I've met some people with just the most amazing character and integrity, greater levels than anyone you know I, I'd ever met before. And they believe in God, but they don't claim, you know, to be perfect or, or to be in the perfect church. Yes, for sure. I mean, humility, it's a cardinal biblical virtue. The one 
Jesus tells the story of the one who went home justified was the one who said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. It wasn't the man who who was bragging about fasting twice a week and he's saying, God, I thank you that you've made me so good and that I'm not like that tax collector over there. Mm -hmm. And who knows, that tax collector might have been a very unscrupulous man. He might have been defrauding the Jews at that time. And, and he might have been a traitor to his people, but he pled for mercy and went home justified. Absolutely. And and that's the thing, is he knew how wrong he was. And he was willing to admit it. But I think all of this just goes to show that it's the Holy Spirit who saves people. It is, it's a work of God that we were dead in our trespasses. Like you said, if God had done nothing, you'd still be in that cult. Yeah. But boy, am I glad you're here and, and we're having this. Absolutely. Me too. I am very happy I'm here. That God has made us alive together with Christ. So that's just something I think about as I, as I pray for those who, who don't know Christ. And, and even when I get frustrated with, with certain people in my life who, who don't seem to see, I just remind myself that I'm no better. Yeah. You know, and, and it's the Holy Spirit who saves. So that's why we pray. That's why we go to God. Because it's the blood of Jesus who saves and, and it's Christ who sent his spirit to convict the world concerning sin and righteousness. And it's he who transforms hearts. Yep, I agree. Hmm. I think the one of the takeaways, you know, one of the things I've had to, um, to understand is that there are actually really good people in this cult. Just mm. very, very good people who are also abused. That mm. everything comes from the pastor himself. There's not a decision that is made, a thought that is had. I know that sounds weird, but a thought that is had that is not approved by the pastor himself. And mm -hmm. so many of the people who might have been my abusers, granted, I have a, you know, some justified animosity towards them, but they're doing what they're told and they mm -hmm. believe in it. Um, mm -hmm. If they don't do what they're told, I mean, you know, they'll be faced, they'll be in this exact same position. I was just mm -hmm. the mercy of the pastor. Well, uh, that sure is a sure is a cheerful way to end things. But <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> no, but um, but yeah, I think that really is a takeaway. Just to just to look at others with more compassion, and and you know, just to remind us that you know it's because the prince of darkness has darkened their eyes, and having eyes they do not see. And having ears, they do not hear. And, and, you know, we can proclaim the truth, but ultimately all we can do is pray. Yeah. And for, for the work I of the Holy Spirit in their hearts. Yes, he can. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, uh, that's about all we can do at this point is just pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, the apostle Paul, he, 
there was a time in his life where he was no friend of the church. But look at how God used him. Yep. All right. Well, I'd say that's a much more cheerful way to end things. I think so, too. All right. Well, check out Jesse's book whenever it comes out next fall. Um, I'm also going to put some links in the description to, to Pastor Mark's website. And I might even throw this church's website in there so you can check everything out for yourself. But once again, it was, it was a pleasure to have you on. And it was a pleasure. Yeah, it was a to, pleasure. Just to see what God has done in your life. Absolutely. Yes, it was. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. This has been great for me, too. And with that, I say, Soli Deo Gloria.